Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and the renewal of our world. We're so glad that you're listening. I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I, um, like Brad said, I, I moved to the, La- the Loudoun County area late last year. Um, it's been great. I met Brad. We became fast friends, meeting over coffee, you know, texting back and forth. And a few weeks into us hanging out, I'm like, man, this, this Brad guy might be, might be one of my best friends, <laughs> right? So, but then I realized as I'm hanging out with him, I'm like, oh, no, he's actually like this with everyone. <laughs> and I think it just goes to show uh, what kind of person he is. Um, a few things I want to tell you about your pastor, in case you don't already know. The first thing is that he's as genuine as they come. Um, he's the same guy on Sunday as he is on any other day of the week that you'll catch him. He walks with honesty and integrity and vulnerability, I think is very honorable. The second thing I want to tell you about Brad is that uh, he really loves people, people that are different from him, all kinds of people. And I really just think that's a reflection of the love that he has for Jesus. And the last thing is that his wife, Amy, is the best thing about him. So if you haven't met Amy, <laughs> you should meet her. <laughs> um, both of them have been so, so kind to me since I've moved here. So. I'm just super grateful. I'm going to pray, Dulles, and then we're going to get right into the word. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to uh, speak to your people. Lord, I pray just for open hearts and minds that you would just use me and say exactly what what you want to say, Lord, and that we might walk out of here better than we walked in. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So uh, this message I'm going to speak today is... uh, it's a really personal message to me because it's, a, it's about a topic that God has really been teaching me about over the past few months. And um, so, we're, you know, we're going to go on this journey together. Um, and the title or the theme that I'll be speaking from today is, It Ain't You. It Ain't You. Repeat after me, say, It Ain't You. See, I want to teach you some modern language today, um, you know, uh, something that the, that the kids are saying, right? So uh, if if a young man, particularly a young man, is, you know, trying to express how cool he is or how respected he is or maybe how good he is at, at what he does, he might say something like, I'm him, right? I'm him. He'll take the entire pronoun and assign it to himself. Um, I, I'll use it in context just to get, you know, you can get a better idea. Maybe someone's walking in somewhere and he's walking in with a friend and he says, do you see how they looked at me when I walked in here? I told you I'm him, right? So this is how they use the expression. Um, Women, you know, they might use it too. It's not a perfect equivalent, but they might say I'm her or, you know, ladies and gentlemen, her. But church, I've come to tell you today lovingly that that you ain't him and you ain't her, right? See, I think that some of us might have a little too much air in our balloon. Some of us might have a little too much pimp in our walk, if you know what I'm saying. See, some of us um, might couldn't sit in the front row because no one behind us would be able to see, if you know what I'm saying. See, um, I think some of us are taking too much credit for our success and attributing our failures to spiritual adversary or other people. See, I think some of us, church, need to be humbled. And please hear me when I say this. You know, I'm not saying that you have nothing to do with your success. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the grace on your life, the way that things have panned out for you, the circumstances you've been blessed with, the, the family you were born into, the temperament you inherited, or maybe the intelligence you have, the, the people who've walked into your life, it's not just you. See, there's a deeper reality at work. There's someone working in you and on your behalf. It is not just you. And uh, I want to teach with balance today. I realize that this message may not be for everyone in this particular season, right? Some of us might need to come to a better understanding of everything that God has placed in us, right? Some of us might need to walk in more confidence because we know what the enemy can't kill in calling, he'll kill in confidence. Some of us need to take the dominion over the domain that God has 
placed in our lives. Some of us need to know that we're the head and not the tail. Some of us need to believe in us. But others of us, many of us, I might even say most of us need to know that it ain't us, it ain't you, and somebody hear me, you ain't it. <laughs> so um, I learned this lesson early on. You know, I'm not above this. I, I certainly learned this lesson. I, um, I remember being in first grade, my family, we had just moved to West Virginia. Um, I'm from a place called Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and uh, my dad was looking for a sports league to put me in. So we were looking around for sports leagues, axing around, and um, we found a local basketball league. It was a church league, the Shepherdstown Church League or whatever. So um, we found that league, and, and if I'm honest with y'all, uh, I was the best one in that league. <laughs> and I was the best one in that league by far. I mean, I'm scoring left and right. I'm running down the court, high-fiving my teammates. I'm winking at the cheerleaders. I mean, I really thought that I was that guy, right, in this league. <laughs> um, but anyways, there was just one particular game. I'm getting ready to go. I'm warming up. I'm doing my thing. And one of the moms, or maybe a grandma in the stands, she looks at me and she says, oh, no, we're playing Michael Jordan's team today. And she said that to me, referring to me. So, of course, that gassed me up more than I was already gassed up, made me overconfident. Anyways, had a great game. Uh, the point guard on the other team, he didn't have a great handle. So every time he's dribbling the ball up the court, I'm stealing the ball. I'm going getting layups left and right, you know. Um, and this is the funny detail, right? So my dad, <laughs> it'll give you an idea of what my dad's like, right? So my dad, he's in the huddle, right? He's not a coach, but he's in the huddle because he's the father of the franchise player, right? <laughs> so he's in the huddle, he's telling me what to do. Like if you knew him, like that's just like him, right? So after every game, um, you know, he would, uh, he would tell me how many points I had and, you know, give me all the constructive criticism, say what I need to do better. I said, hey dad, how many points did I have after this one particular game? He said, son, you had 42 points. And this is a true story, my career high, right? 42 points. I remember going home telling my siblings, you know, they didn't believe me, the whole thing, whatever. But um, later we found out in this league that they would stop keeping score at the games, right? And to my dad, that might as well have been sacrilegious or a sign of the end times. <laughs> what do you mean we're not keeping score, right? Why are we playing if we're not keeping score? So he said, oh, no, dude, we got to find another league. So we started asking around for different leagues, and someone told us about the Ranson League, um, so we decided to do that. And just to give you a little bit of context, um, if, so you know you can kind of familiarize yourself with the area that I grew up in, uh, the Shepherdstown League that I was playing in might have been like the Ashburn League, right? But the Ranson League that I was about to play in was probably like PG County, right? So it's a different vibe, right? You know, there's different types of players. I walked in the tryout and I see, you know, the players are bigger, faster, stronger. You know, they got a little more grit to them. I'm realizing uh, this might not be the same situation that I was in. I'm, I'm at practice. They're teaching moves that I don't know yet, right? At this point, I'm in third grade. Um, anyways, so to give you guys a long story short, at the end of that season in the Ranson League, I uh, probably didn't have 10 points. Not in a game, but the entire season, <laughs> right? So uh, I learned a good lesson that year, and I went to my dad. My dad was like my agent, right? I went to my dad after that season. I said, hey, dad, uh, I think I want to take my talent to the Harper's Ferry League next year. It was the next town over. <laughs> I said, I think that'll be better for, uh, for my career. Um, because I learned that there were some other factors that were contributing to my success. See, I was taking too much credit for my wins and too much blame for my losses. See, that year, that year I got humbled. In church, I think that our society is struggling with a deadly condition. And this condition is so deadly because it's a silent killer. I've heard people relate it to carbon monoxide. They say it is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. I actually believe that this condition is the root of most affliction in our lives. I think it severs our relationships with others and with God. And this condition is pride. See, it's pride that causes us not to see, hear, or feel God 
It's pride that leads people to pursue lives that give them status but leave them empty. It's pride that had the Apostle Paul, the person who wrote the majority of the New Testament, persecuting and killing Christians in the early part of his life until God got a hold of him and literally put scales over his eyes. He blinded him. Why? Because that's what pride does. It blinds. It keeps us from examining ourselves and seeing others in the right light. So if you have trouble taking constructive criticism or blame or maybe seeing the good in others, then you might be struggling with this condition. See, the Bible says that pride comes before destruction. There is nothing that will make you self-destruct like pride. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. And I would say if there's anyone that you want on your side, well, it would be God. See, it's said that uh, pride is the sin under the sin, right? It's, it's the root of so many things that we face today. So today I'm going to be Dr. Bropley. I certainly don't have an MD, right? Barely got my bachelor's, but um, I want to be Dr. Bropley because I want to try to identify the, some of the symptoms of pride because not only does pride blind, but it, it hides. So um, let's identify some of the symptoms. I don't, it's not an exhaustive list, but I think it can give us a good idea of where pride can hide. The first is fear and anxiety. Now, I don't want to oversimplify fear and anxiety. You know, it's a very complex issue with a lot of different reasons that, that we, we experience it. But a lot of times, anxiety is, is us struggling with not having control, right? So maybe we wanted to be married by a certain time or be promoted, or maybe we wanted to control how our kids would go about life, or maybe we want to control how our church life looks or, or anything in our life instead of trusting God and believing that he's in control and that he has the best for us and leaning into that. A lot of times that's rooted in pride. Another one is fault finding, right? Fault finding. Our society, we love fault finding. We love problem identification. And it's necessary because to fix a problem, you have to identify. But a lot of times when we, when we um, lean towards fault finding, especially when it comes to an individuals, it's rooted in pride. Um, I, I don't know if you, uh, if you ever heard a message or, or a piece of advice or you know, a quote or something, and you think, man, I hope this person gets a hold of this, right? Maybe you'll send it to them. You have someone in your mind, you'll send it to them, just say, hey, this was, this was a good word. I thought it was good. But really, you're trying to tell them, hey, I need you to listen to this because you got some things that you need to fix. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, you know, we're all prone to do that. And the reality is when we are thinking of someone else and applying it to them before we do it to ourselves, well, I think there's something wrong with that picture. Another one is prayerlessness is a sign of pride. See, I think a lot of times we think prayerlessness is a habit thing or an upbringing thing, but I think subconsciously what we do is we devalue the place that God holds in our life. See, we don't feel the need to invite him in on our decision-making or, or consult him when, we, when we're pursuing different um, endeavors in life, or we don't feel the need to be connected to him. We feel self-sufficient, and a part of that is good, but I think you have to be careful because it can be rooted in pride. Another one is people-pleasing. Because I think the root of people-pleasing is preservation of social standing and, um, and, and self-image. So if you've become so concerned with how people are viewing you and then you can't show up and serve them in the way that they, and they need or you can't um, show up in a way that is necessary because you're concerned about putting your likability or your, or, or your social standing at risk, well, I think that's Pride. And honestly, I, you know, I, I think some, some people right now might be like, man, what does this 20-something-year-old have to tell me about God and life and virtue? And I would say, you know, that might be pride, too. But uh, <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I find it a little interesting how we come to church service to be served, which is great. But we don't always want to talk about servanthood, right? Or maybe we want to talk about it, but we don't 
want to really dive into it if it starts requiring too much of us. So uh, today I want to talk about a topic that is not initially enticing, it's not sexy, it may not make you shout, we don't often pray for it, and that topic is humility. So I want to go to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, Philippians 2, um, verse 1 through 11. It'll be on the screen, and just give you a little context here, what's going on is the Apostle Paul, he was writing to the Church of Philippi, and really just encouraging them to live in the way that Jesus lived. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read it. So it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has, ex God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I really just want to talk through a few points today, um, just try to help us to understand the essence of humility, to try to take it on and just and wear it with confidence in, in a culture that where it might not be as easy. So um, for the note takers, if there are any, the first point is embrace the hierarchy. Embrace the hierarchy. So I have a definition of hierarchy, um, just so we can all understand what concept we're drawing from. It says a system or organization in which people or groups are ranked one above the other according to status or authority. So a system or organization, the kingdom of God, in which people or groups are ranked, you and I, one above another, according to status and authority. Some of us need to embrace the hierarchy. So I actually have a funny story about this. Um, a few years ago, we were preparing for a snowstorm at the Broplay home. And we were doing all the things you do when you prepare for a snowstorm. You know, you put the salt out, you go to the grocery store, you make sure you have all the things that you need to hunker down and get through the snowstorm. One of the things we do at the Broplay home is we put one of the cars in the garage. And the reason that we do this is because, you know, it protects the cars from the elements, you don't have to clean it off, everything else, it just makes it easy for you once you have to go out and clean. So. I was getting ready to put one of the cars in the garage. And just to help you understand, there are four people in the house at this time. My parents and me and my older sister, we each have a car, right? So I'm going to put one of the cars in the garage because that's what we do, right? <laughs> and I hear a yell from upstairs, and it's my sister, and she says, put my car in the garage. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, I'm confused. I'm like, no, you know, your car does not go in the garage because I think, you know, we all know which car goes in the garage. And she's proceeds to make a case to me about why she believes her car should be in the garage. And finally, you know, I'm frustrated. I, I look at her and I say, young lady, you know, do you not understand the hierarchy of vehicles in this home? You drive a Toyota Camry that's been through four accidents. Your mother drives a Beamer. Honey, the Beamer goes in the garage, right? Like, like, like to be, let's be honest, at that point, she didn't have anything to say because she embrace the hierarchy. See, what I find about uh, the younger generation and honestly society at large is that, you know, we have trouble trusting and honoring authoritative figures. 
And a lot of that trust is, mistrust is well-earned because we've seen people misuse and abuse power for their own gain to be manipulative and divisive or whatever their agenda is. But what I think happens subconsciously is that we, we, it bleeds into our relationship and our view of God because though we may know better than authority in our day-to-day lives in some instances, it's not true with God. With the omnipotent and omniscient God, the person who's all-knowing and all-powerful, who created you, the intelligent being who, who breathed life into humanity, it's just not the truth. So I think it plays out, you know, when we're living our daily lives and maybe we see God has called us to live a certain way, but we wonder if that way is the best way. For example, God says, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive, but we find security in holding on to things and and, and, and hoarding. So we hold on to everything. We hold on to our time, our energy, our resources. We don't give in the way that, that we're called to. So we believe in our way more than we believe and trust in his. Or maybe when God calls us to forgive, but we've been burned in the past. So we decide to isolate ourselves and live guarded and not love people in the way that we're called to. So um, really it's leading us to a life of bitterness and contempt. And God's saying, I know that, but if you would trust me and release it and give it to me, then, then you would be a lot better off, you know, and another one is, you know, when we worry, and maybe we worry because it gives us a self sense of urgency, or we feel like, you know, when we worry, it sparks some type of, um, some type of, you know, movement to get, to get things done, or maybe expresses people that we care, but God's saying, you know, you, you don't need to worry, yeah, but we believe in our way more than, than we believe in his. So I want to go to the Bible, to the text again, and I want to take a look at John the Baptist. I love um, John the Baptist and when he gets introduced into, into the Bible because his life and, and the way that he's described in the word really depicts humility, and I think it gives us a good framework to understand how to carry this out in our day-to-day lives. So I want to go to John um, chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. So it says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you a prophet? He said, no. So then they said to him, who are you? So we need to answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they have been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to unite. See, so there are a few things from this passage that I think we can really draw from to understand how to walk and carry out humility. And the first thing is we have to know our place. What I love about John the Baptist is that he knew his place. You ever been to a sports game or a concert, right? And you're balling on a budget, so you got some bad seats, right? But, but you look down ahead and you see some empty seats there and you would hate for those seats to go to waste, right? So you wait about 20 minutes, so you slide right down to those seats. I know, you know I've never done it. Andrew probably has. So... So you slide down to those seats, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, all of a sudden you see something in your peripheral vision. <laughs> and, you know, they're talking to the concierge. They're pointing at you. They're talking to the concierge. They're pointing at you. And you're not looking at them because if you don't see them, they'll disappear. And then all of a sudden you get to come a little tap on your shoulder. And you got to go back up to your seat because the people just came late. Um, I, had a, I had a similar experience uh, last summer. I went to an Orioles game. 
And I sat down by this older gentleman, and I sit down, I'm ready to have a good time. And he says to me, oh, that seat's taken. And I think he's joking. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's taken by me, right? Yeah. And then he says it again, and I still think he's joking. And then finally, he's like, do you want me to call security? I'm like, dude, call security, right? This is my seat. I know it's my seat. I double-checked. And then finally, we, you know, we both take our, our tickets, we both look at our seats, and it turns out he was the one in the wrong seat. <laughs> see, the thing about not knowing your place is sometimes you might end up getting put in your place, see? <laughs> the thing about not being humbled is sometimes you have to be humbled, and, uh, you know, I'd rather know my place than have to be put in my place. I've experienced it many times in life before. I love that John the Baptist knew this, right? They were asking him, they said, who are you, right? He knew that he was playing a small part in a bigger story, right? He was well known. He was well thought of. You know, he was obviously killing the game, doing what he's supposed to do, baptizing people, but he wasn't, he wasn't stepping out of his place. He knew that it wasn't him that he was pointing to. He says, there's someone coming after me whose straps, sandals, I'm not worthy to unite. So you have to understand that God is not concerned with you being uh, well known or good at what you do or even affluent. He's not concerned with that. He's just concerned that you know your place. Why? Not because he's trying to humble you, but he wants you to understand the relationship that you have with him, right? The creator, the father, he wants you to embrace the hierarchy. Another thing that John did I thought was beautiful is that he redirected the credit. They're asking him, like, are you this person? He's like, nah. Are you this person? No. And then he tells you, you know, he, he says there's one who's coming after me. He's redirecting the credit. I think we can get really good at this in our life, and, and it's a great way to point to Jesus. Someone comes to you, they say, hey, you are so graceful and patient when you speak with your kids and your family. You can really just say, you know, oh, yeah, that's actually overflowing out of my prayer life, right? Or you, someone says, oh, you know, you are so detail-oriented in the way that you show up and the way you handle finances, and you're so, you know, meticulous in, in details, and you say, yeah, thank you. I really try to honor God in everything I do. You know, I really try to be excellent. Um, you know, I think it's important that, that we get comfortable redirecting the credit. And the last thing I think is beautiful is that some gospel translations, um, the, the introduction of John the Baptist, it says, John prepares the way. I think that's great because I think our lives prepare the way for people to have an encounter with Jesus, right? So I think that we have to keep that in mind that as we walk with humility, there's nothing more attractive than, than, than a, a, a humble, kind person. See, it doesn't take away from anything that you are, right? If you truly know who you are, if you truly believe in all the gifts that God has placed in you, if you, if you truly understand your place in this world and how you're called to live, you don't have to put on anything to confirm that or to, to you know, to, to display that. All you have to do is be humble and, and God through you will speak for itself. So we are called to know our place, redirect the credit, and prepare the way. Another thing that's important for us to know is that humility leads to emptying ourselves. It leads to emptying ourselves. Um, I thought this was interesting. You ever hear someone say they felt used? Maybe, um, you know, they, their skill set is getting overused at work or maybe in volunteering, you know, they feel used. But then in church circles, they have this saying where people say they want to be used by God. And I think it's important for us to know that being used by God always means that we're being used for others. And please hear me, what I'm not trying to say is that we allow ourselves to be abused and mistreated, but it's important to know that God's driving narrative is, is love. And what is love? It's giving service and sacrifice. So if we want to be used by God, we have to know that we're being used for the good of others, right? In the Bible, I mean, if, if I keep it real today, church, if we're not helping anyone, we're not being used by God, because God's driving narrative is love. See, I think that 
um, a lot of times there's a misconception about humility, that it causes us to hide. But really, it compels us to contribute, right? I think a lot of times, you know, humility, people think humility means we're taking a back seat, but no, we're actually just creating a seat at the table, right? It's just not about us. We don't, we don't hide, but we, we contribute. I love, you know, in, in, the, in the part in Philippians that we read, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, see, like I said, pride, it, it hides, but humility serves. I think some of us want to stay in the background because it requires less of us, but God is saying, hey, the humble thing to actually do is to step up and serve when you need it. So it's important to remember that. And the, the last point I want to tell you is that humility is the foundation of faith. Humility is the foundation of faith. See, I think the, you know, when, when, the problem of, with being prideful is when, when we're prideful, we feel hopeless when things aren't going right, and we lose the ability to rely on the one who actually has the answers. Um, see, when I'm humble, I understand that there are things in this life that I'll never understand, but I believe the words of God when he tells me to cast his cares on him because he cares, right? I'm believing that it's not my ability, but it's his divinity. I'm stepping into situations believing that God exalts the humble, like he says in the Bible, and opposes the proud. I'm embracing the upside-down kingdom when Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Humility um, is the foundation of faith. I love the story in the Bible, um, in Daniel chapter 3, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, if, you, if you grew up in church, you may know this story. Essentially, they worked for King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king uh, built a huge gold tower of himself, and he let out a decree that said, hey, every time music sounds, you have to worship this gold tower of me. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were like, yeah, you know, we'll keep working for you, but we only worship the one and true God, so we're not going to do that, right? So basically, the penalty for people or the punishment, um, if they were caught not worshiping at the sound of the music, is they had to get thrown in the fiery furnace. And it, long story short, you know, the word got back to King Nebuchadnezzar and um, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not worshiping at the sound of the music, and they were, you know, going to have to be thrown in the, in the fiery furnace. So, you know, they had them, tied them up, and with, threw them in there with all their clothes on. The Bible says he turned it up seven times as hot as normal because he was so angry. Well, um, he, 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 after he threw them in there, he's waiting a little bit, and he's looking in the furnace. And he asked his servants, he said, yo, how many people did we throw in there? And they're like three, and he's like, keeps looking, and he's like, wait, hold on, I feel like it's more, he's like, well, was there someone in there before we threw them three in there, and they were like, uh, nah, just the three of them, and the story goes on, he says, I, I just can't, it looks like there's not three, but there's actually four, and the fourth one looks like a god, see, what happened is God stepped into their situation, and he was with them, and I, I don't know if you ever heard uh, the phrase when people say, you know, you went through fire and didn't come out smelling like smoke, right? This person went through fire and they came out so graceful. See, I think it's important for us to know that when we go through fire and we don't come out smelling like smoke, when we, when we beat that depression, when we, uh, you know, come out with peace and, and purpose and perseverance, when we go through a fire and, and we don't come out smelling like smoke, and people ask us, you know, hey, what happened? You know, you can tell them, hey, you know, I can, I can tell you about the strategy, but really I got to introduce you to the Savior, <laughs> right? I, I, can give you, I can't give you the remedy if I don't tell you about, about the Redeemer. I can't give you directions if, if you don't know the divine. See, see, 
see there was somebody else with me, right? There's a beautiful confidence that comes in life when we realize that everything is not up to us, that there is somebody else with us, that we don't have to know the answers to everything, that there's someone who we can rely and trust on. Just so you know how, how the story ends, the three boys come out of the fire without a single hair singed on their body. See, God is a God that can be trusted. He's with us. He's guiding us. See, when you believe that, you first have to believe that God is above you. He has authority over your life. And, and then you have to believe that he cares about you and want the best for you. And then there's a, there's a peace and a confidence that comes that's wrapped in humility. See, I think there, there's someone else with us, and, and we can understand that if we just understand that humility is the foundation of faith. So um, I want to read one more scripture. The band can come up because uh, I think just the, um, this scripture is so beautiful. It's, it's in John and before Jesus is going to get crucified and he's washing the feet of, of his disciples. And uh, it's just a beautiful, some beautiful imagery, uh, you know, so a beautiful moment in time. So it says, now Jesus was fully aware that the father had placed all things under his control. For he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. He got up from the meal and took it off his robe and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. Then when he got to Simon Peter, Simon Peter objected and said, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. Jesus replied, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it will be clear to you. And then Peter looked at Jesus and said, you'll never wash my dirty feet, never. But then, but Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share a life with me. See, um, I think some of us, maybe uh, the way God was taught to us or maybe our view of God or, or however, you know, um, someone communicated his heart to us. Sometimes you may see God as self-absorbed full of himself, needs our adoration, praise, and, and worship. Um, but that's not, that's not the God I know. It's not the God I know. The God I know is the God that told Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you can't share a life with me. So you have to understand that God is the epitome of humility. He, he exited heaven and took on the inconvenience of our humanity and live with us just to show us that, hey, there's nothing I won't do to get to you. See, what I love about God and, and Jesus versus any other spiritual narrative is that every other thing says, hey, you have to do this to get to God. But Jesus is a representation of what God did to get to us. See, you have to understand that, that God is the God of humility. If you want to answer the question, what would Jesus do? If you want to answer the question, hey, how should I posture myself in this world, if you want to answer the question, wait, what does purpose look like? Well, I think you have to understand that God is a God of humility and service. So I want to pray today um, for, for everyone here as we get ready to close um, to just ask God to, hey, you know, carry us through this week. Help us to see places where we can be humble. Hey, God, if there's, if there's anything that I need to give to you or there's something that I do want to give to you, I want to trust you with it and just believe that you have the best in mind for me. So, so let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your heart and uh, that you care so much about each and every one of us, God. I, I thank you that you came out of heaven to 
let us know that, hey, there's nothing that I won't do for you, Lord. Help us to carry that same heart as we go in our day-to-day lives to serve um, those around us and help us to adopt a spirit of humility in a real way. Lord, if there's anyone here who has something that they want to give to you, they want to release it to you, Lord, give them the strength and the ability to be able to do that, God. Um, I pray that you just would give them divine help and show them ways that they can release things to you and follow you and and be a a light and a beacon of humility in a world that's dark, Lord. So um, I thank you for just your love and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.